All right, Genesis 32. So if you remember where we have left off, so Jacob has been at his uncle Laban's uh, for the last 20 years. And uh, while he was there, uh, Laban has lied to him. He's connived him. Seven years for Leah, his oldest daughter. Seven years for Rachel, his youngest daughter. And then six years that he would work because he was broke. And so you remember in the uh, last Bible study that we had about this, the uh, all of the, uh, the, the different animals and the, he would keep the spotted lambs and the striped lambs and all of the pure ones Laban would keep and then God just continued to multiply all that Jacob had and then 31 ended with uh, God telling Jacob it's time to go. He gathered, um, he was leaving, Laban caught him and uh, they uh, had this time where uh, he said, "Why? Well, I was going to throw you a party. Why are you leaving? And, uh, and so Laban then has the opportunity to tell his children or his daughters bye. And, uh, and so uh, think about this. In all of Laban's life, he's a guy that shows no growth in his relationship with the Lord. Nothing. Uh, when we meet Laban... Um, Rebecca, his uh, sister, Isaac has, uh, uh, Eliezer, Abraham's uh, servant has gone there. They, he finds Rebecca, Laban's sister, and then we dubbed Laban then, this has been several chapters back, as the used camel dealer, right? He's the guy that was just the shyster. Um, well, then Rebecca would send her son Jacob there to her brother's house, Laban's house. And then we just, the whole time, Laban's whole story is that nothing, he never grew, he never changed. And yet Jacob, we have seen him change uh, drastically. He uh, was mama's boy. Rebecca raised him as her favorite. Um, He was soft. He was tender. Um, his brother Esau was the tough one. Daddy raised him. Um, and uh, and then uh, we, we really kind of see him being pushed around by mom. Mom was that helicopter parent, bulldozer parent. She was the one that, the jackhammer parent. She was the one that called all of the shots for uh, Jacob. In fact, he finally she finally said, listen, you've got to leave here. Your brother Esau uh, is going to kill you. You um, you have his birthright, and now you have uh, taken his blessing. And uh, Esau said, listen, I'll, once dad dies, uh, you're next. I'm killing you. Um, and so Rebecca gets Jacob out. And, uh, and we find Jacob on his way to Laban's house, and he has a, a moment in Bethel. You remember this? That while he was in Bethel, he saw the stairway um, and angels ascending and descending. Uh, He sees the Son of God at the top of the stairway, and he sets that stone in Bethel. And we talked about how this was like his public commitment to following God. It was his baptism in the Old Testament. Um, And it was a memorial stone setting Bethel, the house of God, that place of God as 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 a spot where he met the Lord. And in those 20 years with Laban, we just see him growing. We see him maturing uh, we see difference, uh, differences happening in uh, Jacob's life. And uh, when 32 begins, Jacob is coming home. 
He's coming back to the promised land, back to Cana, uh, back to the land that God had given his grandfather Abraham. And uh, there's a problem, though. Who's back at home? Esau. Do you think he's forgotten in two decades what Jacob has done to him? Um, but yet Jacob knows that God has told him it's, it's time to go home. And so he goes home. Um, and, and in these first few verses of chapter 2, we see him um, making this his way back to, uh, back to his homeland. Look, look at verse 1. So Jacob went on his way, and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw, uh, the angels of God met him, and when Jacob saw them, he said, uh, this is God's camp, and he called the name of that place Mahanam. And Jacob sent messengers before him into, or to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau, not my brother, my lord. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen. Donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, uh, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. Hmm. This is either war or a really big welcoming party, right? So Jacob was obviously greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels uh, into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Who's in these companies? Um, he has four wives. Since he's left in the last 20 years, he has Leah, uh, the oldest daughter of his uncle Laban. He has uh, Rachel, the youngest daughter uh, of Laban. He has two. Each of them had uh, servant girls. And of those four wives, he has 11 sons um, and one daughter. And so in the last 20 years, he has acquired a family, a large family, uh, a lot of wealth, servants. He has two companies. He breaks them up into two different groups. And he says, the first group, if he attacks the first group, the second group can get away. You got to wonder who he put in the first group, right? I mean, if, if he's mad and he's going to attack us, then he, um, he puts, um, I think, Leah <laughs> uh, in, in, the, in the first group, right? Uh, the the cross-eyed girl, you remember her? And she, he put, she'd never see him coming, right? And so, so we put him. Put Put her in the first group and, uh, and, and some servants in that first group. And then Rachel, the one that he loved the most. She, you know, the pretty girl, got her back in the back. And, uh, and, and so here they come. And he, here, this is what I want you to see in these first few verses. This is a, a drive home point for us. Obedience to God oftentimes in our life is difficult. I want you to write that down. Um, doing what God's asked us to do, walking in obedience to him, oftentimes pushes us um, into areas that could be dangerous and oftentimes difficult. 
to make decisions that go against the grain, that go against logic, that go against um, popular opinion, that go against um, what, what everybody else is doing. Obedience to Christ oftentimes is it's difficult. And we, salvation, trust in Christ is simple. Surrendering your life to Christ is simple in salvation. Walking with Jesus is the difficult part. The youngest among us who recognizes, realizes the conviction, has conviction of their sin, realizing their loss can be saved. Salvation is the simple part. Walking in obedience is the difficult part. Walking in obedience um, when, when God tells us, this is what he told Jacob, he said, go back home. Why go back home? This isn't your land. Remember the three-part promise? You're going to have descendants. You're going to have territory, a land. Um, you're, you're, you're going to, and I'm going to be your Lord. And if I'm going to be your Lord, you're going to have to follow me in obedience. And so he is following, and he is going back home, and yet when he hears that his brother's coming, it is obvious that he is terrified, and he is making some decisions of how to navigate this situation when they finally meet. Look at verse 9. I want you to look at this next part. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, The Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother of my children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now, what what we just read in verses 9 through 12 is the longest prayer so far in the book of Genesis. Now, watch where Jacob is. Jacob was the guy who did not walk with the Lord, did not trust in the Lord, trusted in his mom. He had a Bethel experience. He spent two decades growing, maturing, and walking with the Lord. He had no one. His, the only uh, figure that he had was Laban, and, and he couldn't trust anything that Laban did. And so he depended in the last 20 years, he's depended on the Lord. He has walked with the Lord. And now, watch what he's doing with the Lord. God, you remember, don't you? You told me that you, you told me to go back. You told me that you were going to protect me. You told me that uh, <coughs> you're going to provide descendants. And so this is evidence that he is walking with God, he is growing with God, and he is leading his family. Now, sometimes in life, walking in obedience is difficult. And oftentimes in life, leading our family, um, we, it's a fearful thing. But walking with the Lord, we lead our family in the places that we may not have, feel the most comfortable in. 
but God's presence, when God provides, he will also provide his presence and we will walk. And he's praying. Now, you and I realize this, that praying may not always change our situation, but praying always changes us. God, God may have determined for you to walk through a difficult time and because in that difficult time God may be using that difficult time to make you the person he wants you to be and as you pray the situation may not change but God will change you in the situation right? and so here we see um, Jacob is praying and, and he is calling on God he's saying God you you're you're the one who has promised all of this don't forget and he is laying it all out now I want to this this is evidence of Jacob's faith and his journey now I had a conversation this week uh, with a guy in our church and um, uh, one of the things he was struggling with is he said, you know, when, when I get discouraged, faith is not my default. Um, and you know, at first, it, you know, that sounds spiritual. You know, it sounds like, you know, um, faith, faith isn't my default to trust in God for this, or I get stressed out and I spin out or I make poor decisions because faith isn't my default. Um, and God almost just gave me this. I said, faith isn't any of our default. That, that, that's none of us are born with faith being the default. Faith is not a default. Faith is a discipline. Faith is something that we we grow. Faith is something that we we trust God more and more and more. And what you're seeing in Jacob's life as he is heading back home and he is afraid, what is next? Faith is that that has become a discipline in his life, and it is growing and maturing him. And um, so we see obedience to God is difficult, but then we see dependence on God is a demand. God demands our obedience. And all of God's promise has to do with Jacob getting back home. And Jacob is acknowledging all of God's promises in his prayer in verses twelve or 9 through 12. Um, but then look at verse 13. I'm running out of time, and I've got a lot more to, to go. So he lodged there that same night. And he took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, uh, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female, boy, he's really saying I'm sorry, ain't he? Um, <clears throat> 20 female donkeys, 10 foals. Uh, then he delivered them to the hand of his servants and uh, every, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, when he saw my brother meet you and asked you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the drove, saying, 
in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Now, here's Jacob's plan. <clears throat> he's going to send his servants multiple droves, three different droves of gifts. And so every time a servant gets to Esau, he's going to say, hey, this, this, is, this is from Jacob, um, your brother. And literally, he's... He's sorry. Can, can you imagine how if Esau in his heart had gathered the 400 men to come to wipe Jacob, to, to, to initiate the plan that, he had, that, that was in his heart 20 years prior, if, if he has come with his 400 men to wipe Jacob and all of his family off the earth, that very first group of servants with the gifts from his brother and this word, Jacob, he's sorry. I'm going to tell you what, there's something about that to say, hey, you see in Jacob growth. You see in Jacob maturity. You're seeing Jacob own his blunders. And he is offering a gift. This is what I want you to write. Repentance very possibly can open the door to reconciliation. In, in a broken relationship in your life, you have done someone wrong. Repenting of that. Um, three different droves with the same message. I'm sorry. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And as every one of those presents, every one of those gifts were given, it was showing Esau that his brother had changed. Now, Jacob stays back. All of his family goes ahead. Now, we would look at that and say, man, he hadn't changed any. He put his wife and his kids in the, the front of danger and sent them there. What if Esau decides to wipe everybody out until he gets to Jacob? The, the, Jacob is, um, I don't think it's a coward act as much as it's a courageous act because what Jacob is doing, he knows the culture. Um, and, and he is sending his children that his brother and all of his family has never seen before. You know, when, when I was four years old, we moved here uh, to Louisiana and left all of our family in Michigan. And uh, I have cousins up in Michigan, and my grandparents there in Michigan, um, my cousins grew up in their home. I, I would see them every couple of years, right? I always felt like there was a stronger connection um, to uh, my grandparents and my cousins just because of the closeness, right? But when we would go home, um, it, it was, it was when, when we would show up and it had been a year or two years or whatever, it was just like, it was almost like, oh my, everybody was so excited to see us. Every time we got there, there was parties because we were there. 
think that's what's going on. This family, Jacob's family, has never seen his 11 sons and daughter. He has, they have never met his four wives, and he is bringing his family in, and they are melting the heart of Esau. These gifts, these people, his family, they're coming, and he stays back, and he puts himself in harm's way. He's the last one. He's alone that night in the dark by himself. Um, He finally is acting like a man. Repentance, watch this, and restitution. You know, what did Jacob do to Esau? He stole from Esau. What is Jacob doing? He's giving back to Esau. All the blessing that Jacob had received, he is handing it and he is paying it to his brother. Now, in the Hebrew, they use a word in verse 20. I want you to look at this real quick. I got eight minutes. I got more verses. He says, and also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. That that word, appease, is the, it, it, it sounds as though it's conniving. Like I'm going to, um, I, I'm hoping that this will appease his anger, that this will soothe uh, the hurt. It's the Greek word kapoor. Um, and the Hebrew word kapoor. In the Jewish culture and their festivals, there is a high holy day, and it's called the Day of Atonement. And it is when the two lambs are brought and uh, they're sacrificed. And uh, one, one of them is sacrificed. One of them is a scapegoat. The first one is offered up as a sacrifice. The blood is drained out of that, and the blood covers the sin. But then the priest would lay all of the sins of the people on the scapegoat and run the scapegoat out of town. But both of these would signify the shedding of blood covers sin, but God separates us from our sin, and the scapegoat would remove the sin from the people. And that day is called Yom Kippur appeasing God that the sacrifice would appease God watch this Jacob is he is offering these as a sacrifice to cover the sin that he committed against his brother and so it is a picture of Repentance. He is turning away from the things that he had done. And, and that's the message is that repentance in our own life oftentimes opens up doors of reconciliation. You remember um, the story of Zacchaeus. Um, and uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and Jesus comes to him. And, uh, and goes to his house 
And a tax collector is one who has stolen uh, from his own people and provided and given to the Roman government. He is a a Jewish person, but he is uh, an official uh, of Rome. And, um, and, And so when Zacchaeus commits his life to Christ, immediately he realizes that I need to repay all that I have taken. Once repentance comes in, he then tries to remit. He tries to repay uh, those things that he's talking about. This is what Jacob has done. I'm repenting. I've wronged my brother, and I'm going to repay him for that. It's more than I'm sorry. It's I'm sorry, and I'm going to restore that that I have taken from you. And so sometimes in reconciling relationships, it's not just enough to say, I'm sorry. It may mean that you say, I'm sorry, but you have to restore something that's been taken. You may have to uh, remit or give uh, in order to reconcile. And so we see this in Jacob's life, and, and it literally is a picture of repentance, appeasing um, appeasing his brother for the sin that he committed. Well, look at verse 22. And this is a, a, a popular story. Um, it is the wrestling God in the night story. And so think, think about Jacob. He is there all alone. Everybody is gone. His entire family is gone. He has removed them away from the danger. He has sent them uh, to his rest of his family. And he sits alone, wondering, waiting, What's going to happen in the dark of the night? And look at verse 22. It says, And he arose that night, and he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And so in the darkness... Jacob wrestled uh, with a man. And now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, um, he, this is capitalized, this is, (coughs) I believe, uh, the Lord Jesus touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint and he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle, that shank, um, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle, that shank. And so... This picture of this uh, wrestling with God, Jacob wrestling with God, is a picture of Jacob's resurrection. 
I want you to write this down. Resurrection came, Jacob's resurrection came through wrestling with God. What do I mean by that? Jacob was made new. He got a brand new name. You remember what Jacob meant? The deceiver, the supplanter, the one who's going to trip people up. Um, But in that moment when Jacob wrestled with God, God said, I'm changing your name. You're no longer the deceiver. Now you're going to be Israel, the one who has wrestled with God. That's what Israel means. And he changed his name. He changed his walk. He changed his gait. God changed him physically from that day forward. His life was different. Now watch this. This is a picture of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Jesus himself wrestled with God in the dark. At the cross, when darkness covered the earth, he asked the Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was pouring out his wrath upon his son. And Isaiah 53 said it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the the son is wrestling with the father in the darkness. And he would resurrect him. And what Jacob had done in chapter 32, wrestling with the Lord Jesus, was a picture to us of what Jesus would do for us as he wrestled with God in the dark. And when you and I submit to what Jesus Christ has done for us, guess what? We experience resurrection and a life. He changes us. He makes us new. He takes us that were dead in our trespasses and sin. And he makes us alive. That, that's what Romans 6, 1 says, that we are buried with Christ in baptism and we are raised to walk in the newness of life in Jesus. And he's changed us. He changes our name. We no longer follow after the things of this world. Now we follow after Christ. He changes our walk. We act differently. We walk differently in this life. That's why the Christian life is called a walk. We react and act differently because of who has changed us. And so when it comes to forgiving, when it comes to reconciling, Jesus shows us through his resurrection that you and I have the authority and the power in us to forgive and to reconcile. I can't wait till Sunday because chapter 33 is that picture of forgiveness. And, uh, and so we'll talk about that Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Two minutes over. God, what a powerful story and what a powerful reminder of your grace that you pour out on our life. And um, God, I'm, I'm grateful, Lord, that uh, you change us, that you make us new. God, that you take that which is dead Um, in our sins and you breathe life into that Um, God and we walk in this earth and we're still filled uh, we're filled with your spirit but we're still covered in our flesh and and we walk in this life and and God we wrong people and um, father we we need to seek reconciliation there's some in this room father who need to go to people and they're in their lives and their families and say, I'm sorry, make restitution. 
um, restore what has been taken. And, uh, and God, I pray, Father, that we would walk a life that is evidenced of the resurrection in us, being made new and alive. God, use us. We love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.